Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Thursday, October the 20th, 2022. It is currently 7.10 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, it was very, very early on in my Christian life, right? I, I knew that I'd believe I knew that I was a sinner. I knew Jesus was my only hope. I knew I had believed in Jesus, but I also knew that I kept sinning and I kept struggling with sin and I kept having problems and stumbling and falling and trying, but not try, you know, looking at scripture telling me I'm supposed to love God with all my heart, mind, body, and soul going, I don't really do that. I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. I don't really do that. I'm supposed to be as holy as God is holy. And I, 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 I struggled and struggled and struggled and struggled. And I don't know, I can't tell you the exact moment it happened. I don't know if it was someone or it was a book. Most likely it was a book. But I was trying to find like how to know for sure if you're saved. Like, did I believe enough? Did I believe the right way? Did I say the right words? How do I know that I'm saved? And it was very, very early on that either a book or someone said, First John. Look to First John. It's the test book. It's the test book for your salvation. If you want to know you're saved, don't look to Christ. Look to First John. Now, they wouldn't tell you not to look to Christ, but in a roundabout way, they don't point you to Christ. They don't point you to his shed blood. They don't point you to his perfect righteousness. They don't remind you of the imputed righteousness. So they say, go to First John and read all of the tests. You're supposed to love God. You're supposed to love others. You're supposed to not walk in darkness. You're supposed to be godly. First John is the test. And if you fail the test, well, you're not saved. Doesn't matter if you believe, doesn't, nope, you're, you're, you have a false faith. You are a false professor of Christ. You profess Christ, but you do not possess Christ. You've probably heard thousands of sermons this way, and they take you through 1 John, and they give the whole church the test. And of course, 99% of the church will sit there and go, amen, give the test, and all thinking they're saved. But if they were even halfway honest and actually look at the test, they would be like, whoa, it's me. I'm, I have failed. So what do we do? Well, 1 John gives the test, but it, it, it may sound like he's demanding perfect obedience to it, but in reality, as long as you're trying. As long as you're, as long as you're doing something, then it counts. It counts. Hey, in other words, par, uh, effort, partial attempt, partial success is good enough to pass the test of First John, which is, you know, would, would be ridiculous if you really think about it that way. But it's a test book. It's a te- it's to test your salvation. I've heard that preached forever. Well, I think it's been a year, maybe last year, maybe two years ago. All time just runs together when you do as many broadcasts as I did. I did like a 25-part series on 1 John, and I challenged that that it's a test to test your salvation interpretation of 1 John. In fact, I declared that that's a misinterpretation of 1 John. 1 John is actually a polemic against Gnosticism. 1 John is about Gnosticism. And whenever I say that, people go, oh, oh, you're, 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 you're trying to push people to easy believism. You're an antinomian or, what, or whatever other arguments I got. I received in emails when I started trying to, to correct 1 John. Uh, but, but I'm like, no, this, this is a polemic against 
Gnosticism. And so I was, I was accused of many things when I tried to fix First John. Um, I, it, some of the accusations were crazy, but I, I tried my best to, to uh, try to explain to people, no, no, just listen. If this book tests your salvation, then look, don't, don't get mad at me. Don't argue with me. You just give the test to yourself and you live your life constantly doubting your salvation because if you're anywhere remotely honest with yourself, you're constantly failing the test unless you so water down the test that the test really becomes meaningless. So either the test is meaningful and everyone's going to fail it if they're honest or you so water it down that it becomes meaningless. But you go ahead and live that way. But at least consider the possibility that maybe that's a more, that's an interpretation that is incorrect and it ignores historical connection. I think it's a polemic against First John. Most people said they'd never heard anything like that. That was crazy. I mean, it was a crazy, it was a crazy time. And I, I let me, in fact, I can, if you go to the Church One app, if you go to the Church One app, Church O-N-E, if you go to Church O-N-E, uh, I'm sorry. If you'll go to the app store of your choice and look for Church O-N-E, right? You'll find the Church One app. Download the app. Do a search for Theology Central. You'll find us. And then if you'll go down to series, it'll say recent series, but if you hit see all, you're going to pull up all of our series. And one of the series you're going to see is Bible Study Exercise. Bible Study Exercise. And there's a search bar right, right to the top. And if you'll just search and type in first or just one, John, you are going to see all of the episodes, right? And there's a lot of them. The first one was preached on, it looks like September the 25th, 2021, September the 25th, 2021. And uh, let's see here. There is how many? 18... There's a lot. There's about 18 or 20 messages here um, on 1 John. I've got to go through and make sure all of these, they're, I don't like the fact that they're a little out of uh, order here, but they're all there. They're all there. And I would challenge you to go through and listen to all of them to get my perspective on 1 John being a polemic. And in fact, I try to go through 1 John and interpret every section. First, I give you the interpreta- the test interpretation so this is what I do in my series. I'm like, here, here's the test interpretation that's so common in the evangelical world, uh, so common, say, if you, if, you, uh, if you read the MacArthur study guide on 1 John or kind of the lordship salvation approach, kind of given that m- mindset of 1 John. And then I offered the, the polemic idea of 1 John being a polemic, an argument against Gnosticism. So I think that that made it very interesting, but some people took great offense to it, got very mad. I got lots of emails with people having issues and accusing me of all kinds of things. And most of the things they accused me were completely not accurate or right if you listen to any of my teaching. But that's what happens when you go after a longstanding tradition and how to interpret a book. See, whether people like it or not, so many of your interpretations of a book, sometimes it has nothing to do with your exegesis of the text. Because in many cases, the average Christian hasn't spent the time actually studying the text. You're just going with a long-held tradition that someone gave you. Like It's like Protestants or evangelicals or non-Catholics will condemn Catholics for relying on tradition. And then some, and then 
some interpretation will come up about a passage of scripture and, and, and Christians will start talking. And I'm like, that's not based off your lengthy study. You just went with a tradition. You just went with what people have gone with for a very long time. So um, I, I almost want to pull out all of my first John messages from the Bible study exercise and move them to a, a, its own series on First John. I almost want to do that. Um, we'll have to see. Maybe I will do that. Maybe I will. Um, I like them in the Bible study exercise because that's what it was designed to do. But it really, at, at some point, it kind of transcended. Well, did it really transcend our Bible study exercise? Maybe not. So I may do that. If you think I should move all of my First John messages out of the Bible study exercise series, rename them and place them and and we create an entire series with new artwork and new description for first john let me know because uh first john is so mishandled it is so mis i think it's so misinterpreted but that's been my history with first john now why am i mentioning all this tonight why am i mentioning this series why am i mentioning all the responses i got to that series in 2021 all right here's the reason why about, well, I don't know, maybe it's been an hour now, I don't know. I had, I'd come up here to the studio, and I was getting ready to review another uh, message uh, dealing with law and gospel from that conference that did kind of a, a series on law and gospel, and we were going to review part two. I had it ready, got it all ready to go, I had all my books, notes, everything laid out. I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll spend Thursday evening talking about law and gospel, and then someone posted in the Discord channel, Hey, hey, if you think that, you know, the Theology Central podcast is the is the only place you've heard that First John is a polemic, polemic against Gnosticism, well, here's a link to a podcast that gave the same idea. And I mean, as, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh, we've got to talk about it. So I came up here, I'm like, long gospel, First John, law gospel, First John, law, law and gospel, First John. Which one do I do? Which one? Well, I've done hours and hours and hours on law and gospel. So I thought we'll take a little break and we'll do a little First John. Now we need to get back to Colossians 2 because that's our focus for today. Today's focus, if you uh, listen to the first live broadcast from today. But we've talked about all kinds of things today. You should just go listen to all the live broadcasts from today. But I thought this Thursday evening, we would listen to someone else say what I spent hours and hours, over 20 hours, trying to convince everyone, hey, First John, that test idea, I think it's a misinterpretation. Interpret First John as a polemic against Gnosticism. Now, most of the responses were negative to that series. A few positive, there were a few positive who thanked me for it. But I, now I can let you hear someone else say similar things. We'll see. Now, again, again, I don't review these in advance when we get ready to review audio. I'm going to guess that it's similar to what I said, but they may have a different approach or give us some more insight. So let's do this, all right? This is from, I think, Theocast. Um, I'll play the intro and everything. And let's see how they approach First John. And uh, I think they did two parts. And if they did two parts, even though it's labeled... On one of the podcast apps is part one, part one. <laughs> There's two part ones. So maybe they, they broke part, part one into two parts, and then part two will be broken into two. I don't know how many parts they're going to do, but I'm just glad other podcasts are talking about a, a looking at First John differently than what everyone else does. I don't believe it's a test book to test 
to see if you're saved. I think it's a polemic against Gnosticism. Are you ready? Here we go. Hi, this is John. And today on Theocast, Justin and I tackle First John. This is definitely a controversial book, and it's been misused throughout the years. So we want to do our best to help explain to you what's the original context, why did he write it, who are the two groups of people he's aimed at, and I don't believe he is trying to call into question the believer's salvation. Next week, we're going to deal with a lot of the problem passages that often are used to call people into question whether they're a true believer. We hope you enjoy. All right, so they believe the book has been mishandled, and they don't believe the book is designed to call into question people's salvation, and that's how it's used over and over and over in preaching. Hey, this we're going to start a new series in 1 John, and by the time this series is over, hopefully you'll know if you're saved. And how are you going to know if you're saved? Because I'm going to give you law, 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 and your salvation will be determined by your obedience to the law. Therefore, at that moment, your salvation is not determined by Christ's obedience to the law. Well, at that point, you've basically entered back into Roman Catholicism. All right, so I'm very interested to see what they're going to do. So let's continue listening. If you'd like to help support Theocast, you can do that by leaving us a review on iTunes and subscribing on your favorite podcast app. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Plus, we have a Facebook group if you'd like to join the conversation there. Thanks for listening. And I would like to say the same thing. If you would like to support the Theology Central podcast, We, too, would love a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and a review. And also, we love positive comments on the Sermons 2.0 app. And we love love for you to subscribe not only in the Sermons 2.0 app, follow us. We like for you to download the Church One app. And we like you to subscribe wherever you hear this podcast. And if you do listen to us on Pandora, if you could balance out all the thumbs down with a few thumbs up, that would be great. And if you're listening to us on YouTube, we like you to hit that subscribe button. And oh, also, we like positive comments, okay? So yeah, we like to be supported too. Yeah, all podcasters do. But all right, thank you. All right, let's continue. Welcome to Theocast, encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ. Conversations about the Christian life from a Reformed and pastoral perspective. If you want to know the heart and mission behind Theocast, we're here to clarify the gospel and reclaim the purpose of the kingdom. And that's what we're going to do today. Your hosts are Justin Perdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina. And I am John Moffat, pastor of Grace Reformed Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee. And uh, it's been a lively uh, few weeks, Justin. We don't necessarily always talk about what's going on in our lives, but um, the last couple of weeks we've had opportunities to speak. Uh, Justin got to speak at a Nine Marks conference. I don't know if mm-hmm. and when that will be available, and I hope they do because it was a powerful message on prayer. And um, stay tuned. A lot of what he said there we're going to do on a podcast coming up. Yeah, that was a good opportunity to go speak, and Theocast came. We had a booth. Yeah. John and and other friends were there, and good interactions, and, and we hope some good cross-pollination on some yeah, uh, some stuff there, and yeah, that I assume the message and even the panel discussions at some point, if they're not already available, yeah, would be available on ninemarks.org or sebts.edu. Yeah, I'd make sure I got all those. Yeah, he got to sit on all the panels, but, and let's just say there was lots of gospel. It was great. It was encouraging. 
Yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, and I got to speak um, at a conference. And it was uh, uh, something I've never done before. I spoke at a conference for parents who had lost children mm. to brain cancer. Mm. And um, so that was uh, sobering at the same time, giving the hope of the gospel. So it was encouraging mm. to them. And I think I'm going to have the opportunity to do that a little bit more here in the future. And then yeah. today I got to, uh, for those of you who know who Dave Ramsey is and his show, he actually does a devotional for all of his um, his employees, like 1,100 employees. So I got to share the power of the gospel from Romans 1 there today. I don't mm-hmm. know if they'll have me back. So we just go ahead and drop one bomb and made sure right. it was the gospel. <laughs> if you have one opportunity to go <laughs> speak right. somewhere, give them Christ. That's man. right. Yep. So, well, Justin, today is uh, an episode that is needed to be done. We've um, Justin and I, you know, someone asked me the other day, do you guys feel like you're ever going to run out of things to talk about? And I'm like, nope, because I'll never get to the bottom of the Bible. I'll never yeah. reach its depth. So as long as the right. Lord gives us lungs and opportunity, we'll continue to preach. It's like asking me, are you ever going to run out of things to preach about? And I'm like, yeah, nope, not going to. So yep. today's one of those episodes I've seen in the title already. We're going to be talking about First John. And I think First John next to James is mm-hmm. one of the most confused books uh, for people as it relates to salvation and obedience and apostasy. Yep. And we're going to do this in two parts. We thought we could do it in one episode. We decided not to do that. We'd have to crunch things in. And uh, for those of you who would like a full exposition of First John, Justin has preached through the entire book uh, a couple of years ago. You can go to the notes and uh, get a link to that and listen to that. I would highly recommend that. Uh, but we're going to condense that down into a conversation. And- I'm going to um, I'm going to try to find that link to all of his sermons on first John. Um, that would be really good to hear. And maybe we could review some of those sermons um, and add to this. Well, what I hope what I what, when I did my series on first John, I really thought it was going to spark a like, wow, we I need to reconsider my interpretation on first John. But it really it just kind of just led more people making accusations, which. You know, it's so frustrating, but okay. But I do agree. First John is one of those books that's just twisted and mishandled. And I believe many Christians have been abused by it, by, by pastors taking the first John and using it as a hammer to almost abuse people and, and lead to doubt, confusion, despair, maybe even deconstruction. May even lead someone to deconstruct their faith and go, this whole Christian thing is not working. If you listen to my late night broadcast last night, someone on Facebook had posted a message that someone sent to me about basically like, I don't think I'm saved. I don't think I'm saved. I I I, I don't change. I haven't changed. And and like looking to themselves for assurance of salvation. Well, that's what first John leads to, and it leads to just total despair. If if you mishandle it. But have we mishandled it? Well, let's see which direction they go. I've already told you my view. It's a polemic against Gnosticism. Let's see which direction they go. The way I want to set this up, and then I'm going to hand it over to Justin to really walk us through the book, because you have to always read things in its original intention, its original context. A lot of when I interact with people and they over social media or email will send me quotes from First John, they're doing so. And they're, they're doing it by 
uh, c- kind of cutting sections out of the Bible, and they're not looking at the surrounding either context or even the author in general who wrote more than just First John. He wrote a lot. And we have to look at everything he wrote. We have to look at the entire Bible. So biblicism is a problem here. We did an entire episode on It's called Beware of Biblicism. Go find that. But biblicism is not a good thing. It's a bad thing. It's where we mm-hmm. will focus in on one particular section of Scripture and we'll ignore the rest of Scripture and even really history of how it's been interpreted and that's dangerous. So a lot of what happens with First John and these passages where we read them that says, well, if you don't obey God, then you can't have assurance. And if you're doing mm-hmm. sin, then you're not saved. There's a lot of confusion here. So Justin, I'm going to hand this over to you. I know you've got a lot of talking to do. So I'm going to let you go ahead and just set this up and yeah. even giving your own, you know, first initial thoughts before jumping in. And I, and, and I agree that I think so many times Christians, they ignore history, they ignore context, they, and in many cases, what, what blows my mind is that we will hold two contradictory theological perspectives. Like you're saved by grace alone through faith alone, not by works. And then turn around and say, well, the way you know you're saved is by works. You don't have enough works. You're not saved, but you're not saved by them, but you will have them. But if you don't have them, you're not saved, but you're not saved by them, but you have to have them, but you're not saved by it. But, but why? then why would I look to my works to save me if I'm saved by something other than my works? I would be looking not to my works. I'd be looking to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Or I would be looking to works, but not my works, the works of Christ who did it for me. But but it's just, it's so weird. Like we almost say two con- absolutely contradictory things. And it, and it, and sometimes we can't even catch that we've done it. I I look, I, I said a lot of, I've, I've been there, I've done it plenty of times in my Christian life. It's just weird. So sometimes... We have to stop and really dig into a text and really go, wait a minute, let's take this idea to its logical conclusion. What am I ultimately saying? Now, does that work with my other theological perspectives? If there's contradiction and it doesn't work, then you have to think, wait a minute, how do I bring my these two contradictory ideas to some kind of harmony? But okay, let's see if, what they're going to do with 1 John. All right, here we go. I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Here we go. Sure. One thing to add to what you just said before I give some background of the book, I think that we in our modern day tend to read First John through the lens of pietism as well. You know, this tendency to always point things back in on ourselves and our performance, uh, to kind of prove yourself. Did you hear that? We often read First John more from a perspective of pietism. This is what you do. You look into yourself, your actions, your works, your godliness, your righteousness. About You don't do this. You don't do that. You don't watch these movies. You don't go here. You don't go there. You don't go here. Pietism has been a ama- – I mean, we could do an entire series on maybe the damages of pietism to um, biblical Christianity. But, okay, let's, let's – I, I thought that was interesting that he went that direction. But, all right, let's go. Theology that we've discussed many times on this show, those lenses are often on when modern scholars and modern pastors and modern Christians read First John. So that has to be acknowledged as well. And it is interesting that many of the individuals who we would say have mishandled First John and have missed the point and missed the tone of the letter are the same people that beat the table and beat the desk for authorial intent. And so but that's where we're going to start here. Now, that is so important. So many times, those of us who will pound the table, look at the author's intent, look at the author's intent, look at the historical content 
look at the uh, historical context. Look at the con- uh, look at the uh, the textual context, historical context, textual context, and author's intent. Historical context, textual context, and the author's intent. We pound the table. We say that you got to look for that. We got to look for that. And sometimes we will be the very first people to ignore those actual hermeneutical principles and rules in certain cases and in certain books and in certain situations. So many, many, many times we violate our own hermeneutical rules. And it's, and it's sometimes we don't even realize that we're doing it. Hey, you better look at the author's intent. Hey, you better look at the historical context. Hey, you better look at the textual context. And then somehow we'll convince ourselves that we've done all of that and end up with an interpretation that clearly goes against the author's intent, clearly goes historical context, and in many cases actually ignores the textual context. Isn't it amazing? I I think that that's just a warning sign of how self-deceived we can be in our Bible study. And that's scary that we can be so self-deceived in our Bible study that we can't even realize how wrong we are. Oh, that scares me to death. That I don't know about you. That just, that sends, that sends goosebumps all up my arms. And like, because I just, like, how many times have I studied the Bible and been just absolutely 100% wrong? Right. Why did John write this letter? Really important question to ask, right? Important question to try to answer. Because if we don't understand the whole and if we don't understand the purpose for which the letter was written, we're going to do terrible things with the parts of the letter. That's right. That's true with any book of Scripture. It's true with the entirety of the Bible. If you don't understand the whole, right. you're going to do terrible things with the parts. Well, here's, here's a great example. You know, if you only heard or read me communicate to my son, if you don't listen to me, you're going to die. <laughs> Well, you could conclude a lot from that, right? True. What okay. I might be saying is if you don't listen to me back off that cliff or get out of the middle right. of the road, you're going to die. Exactly. There's a context behind exactly. that versus John threatens his kids with death if they don't obey him. No, so that's true, not man. what I said. Right. So first, John, why was it written? It's written in the first century. It's written to a church. It's written to Christians. And these Christians have been bombarded by some things. Mm. They have been bombarded in particular by false teaching and by apostasy, by people abandoning the faith and abandoning them. So that's really important. The false teaching that's going on, two prongs to this. The first is what we would refer to as Mm proto-Gnosticism. So Gnosticism is a a heresy that became a full-orbed system of thought in the second century. So what John is dealing with here is proto-Gnosticism. It's not fully baked yet, but it still is there. Some things you need to know about proto-Gnostic thought. There is a kind of a Platonic dualism thing going on here. Mm-hmm. Two planes. You know, there's the spiritual plane. There's the physical plane. The spiritual is inherently good. The physical is inherently corrupt and wicked. All that really matters, all that's really of value is the spiritual. What happens in the flesh is of no real consequence, right? So you can see how that's definitely in John's mind when he begins to talk about how sins that we commit in the body matter. And that's very important. See, for the Gnostics, they're like, hey, it doesn't matter what you do. Do whatever you want with the body. It's the spiritual part. So John, to combat that. So in many cases, what he's combating is, no, if you you can't go along with the Gnostic idea, you can't follow Gnosticism and be a Christian. It's, It's going against a completely false system that denies all basic truths of biblical historical Christianity. It denies, it's in complete opposition to it. 
All right, so just keep that in mind. Again, First John, I believe, and that's the direction they're going. I think that's the direction they're going to go. Hey, he's the the problem here at this time. He's writing to Christians are being bombarded with an early form of Gnosticism, not fully developed, but here's some of the basic elements of it. And I I went through that same thing in our series on First John as well. All right, let's 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 see where they're going to go. How we live really matters, contrary to people who are saying that all that matters is this inner knowledge and this inner enlightenment and some kind of arrival to a higher spiritual plane and what you do in the body and how you live in the body doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. So that's a significant thing. Another prong of the false teaching that's going on in the first century is what we would refer to as docetism from the Greek word dokeo to seem or to think. And this is a a teaching where in the first century, many people struggled not with the divinity of Jesus, but with the humanity of Jesus. Mm. They taught that he only appeared to be physical, that he only seemed to be physical. So they were denying that God the Son came in the flesh. And so that's going to be really clear, too, throughout the letter where John will emphasize. So it's written dealing with Gnosticism and Docetism. That, that's, that's very important to understand. If you, you need to, therefore, to understand First John, you got to understand all the basic elements of early Gnosticism and Docetism or Docetism. You got to understand the elements of that and then see First John possibly as a polemic against that. We, we remove Gnosticism and Docetism. We may mention a little bit, but then immediately turn it into, it's a test. It's a test to see if you're saved, if you're saved, if you're saved, because if you, if you did this or if you went to a movie or you listened to this or all these things that show up in the way Christians preach First. John. And trust me, when they preach First John, Gnosticism and Adocetism almost becomes completely forgotten. Guys, that we are we've seen him, we've touched him, you know, we've heard these things. We confess that Jesus came in the flesh. So he's going to really reiterate that at multiple points. So these Christians that John's writing to have been bombarded by false teaching, proto-Gnosticism, Docetism. The second thing, though, that they have been bombarded by is apostasy. They have had people abandon the faith and abandon them. And we would understand from the context that these are people who have bought into this false teaching, mm-hmm. who don't understand that how they live matters. They're not concerned with righteousness. They're not concerned with loving the brethren. And they depart mm-hmm. and abandon these saints to whom John is writing. And these Christians to whom the apostle is writing have been hurt by these things. Yeah, No doubt, right? So what do we conclude from all of this? It's that John is writing not to smoke out the fakers, but to actually comfort the saints. Mm, He is writing. Yeah. Right. He is. That is crazy to think about. See, the book was not written to to test and smoke out the fake Christians. It was to comfort the true Christians. Rarely is 1 John preached as a text of comfort. It's preached as a text of testing to ensure, to figure out who's fake. Gnosticism, docetism, docetism. I think the first time he said docetism, second time he said docetism. But you get the idea that it's those two ideas that he's going after. And he's there to comfort the true believer. Almost no one reads 1 John as a comforting letter. They read it as a condemning letter, as a challenge, as a threatening, as as. Oh, come on, come on, come on. You're not really, look at First John. You're not really saved. Come on, come on. Go ahead and admit it. You're a fake. You're a liar. You're not truly a Christian. Come on, here's the test. So it was it to comfort 
or was it to expose? That, that's kind of, that's interesting, right? Let's continue. Writing to people who are genuine and to assure them by pointing out the fact that the people who have abandoned them and hurt them are those who have bought into this false teaching and have thereby punted the faith and have hurt their fellow church members, right? Yeah. And that is critical for our understanding of the letter. Yeah. John is not in angry prophet mode. Mm-mm. You know, he's not in drop the hammer mode. He's not in a threatening mode at all. He actually writes with a very tender, gentle, pastoral, reassuring tone. Mm. And that becomes very clear when you survey the letter from 30,000 feet, and you're not just isolating verses here and there like you referred to in your mm-hmm. introduction. Well, unlike James, we have a little bit of James in the book of Acts. We know a little bit of his character and who he is. Oh. Uh, but we'll learn most about James from his writings in mm-hmm. his one book. Mm-hmm. And even in that is a great example is that he's doing not doing the same thing. He's not trying to smoke out the nominal. He's not trying to call into question uh, people's faith. Uh, James, like nine times within the first two chapters, says, my brothers, my brothers, my brothers. Well, well, first John does the same thing. And I can't wait for the section where we're going to get in there to the, to the comfort mm. sections of first John. But right. if you do not do your homework and you look at the greater context, what is going on? Why is he writing this? What is he truly fighting? You can misinterpret what he says, which has happened a lot. And we're going to work through that. But it is important to do this kind of work because the writer had a point he was yeah. trying to make. And it is our job as the reader to yeah. make sure we get that point. Yeah. And we're going to try to convey in this episode and the one that follows what John's tone was mm. and what his clear emphasis was. Right. Last comment before I maybe start reading a, an yeah. avalanche of verses to demonstrate John's tone and intent mm-hmm. um, is this, the way that first John is often presented in our modern day. And this has been true for decades is that it is a litmus test of salvation. Mm. Like John is giving that he's giving the church a litmus test and, and the standard, you know, measure yourself against these things to determine whether or not you're legit. You're probably not. Yeah. You know, there, there's a lot of fakers out there and what you need to do is assess yourself and see whether you meet the test or not. Mm-hmm. And our understanding of the letter is different than that. That's right. That, that John is writing actually to strengthen the assurance of the redeemed. And he's writing to protect them from the things that they have experienced and gone through. He's writing to comfort them. I think the the sermon series title for when I preached through it was a letter of comfort and joy or something like this yeah, kind of which playing most off of people would tidings of comfort and joy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause yeah, typically it's a, it's a threatening, scary letter like yeah. James, which like you James. preach through. Yep. So let me, and that's just absolutely true. Go look up sermons on First John. Just go. You can go to the sermons.net app, Edify Christian Podcast app, your, your, your favorite podcast app, Sermons 2.0. Now, hopefully you'll find some who go, no, 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 no. This is not the test book trying to expose false Christians. This is a book to comfort true Christians. This is a polemic against Gnosticism. This is speaking against Gnosticism or docetism. That's that's what's going on here. But I think in many cases, you're, you're I, I think in most cases, you're going to get something completely different. And if you are honest with the tests that they give you, well, one, you're not looking to Christ for assurance. You're looking to yourself and the works in your life. And two, if you are measure them in any truly meaningful way, you're going to come up short. 
and you're going to come up not, well, questioning your salvation or doubting your salvation or coming to the conclusion that you're not really saved if you're even halfway honest or you have to pretend that you're more godly and you're more holy than you actually are. You have to pretend and you have to dress up in a robe of self-righteousness, which has never helped any of us. But, all right, let, let's see. I'm, I'm interested in see where they're going to go here. Let me, let me do this, John. I, I, I'm on the one sense apologetic. On the other hand, I'm not at all. Um, it's really good for us to do what we're about to do. Yes. What is the tone of first John? We're saying that he's writing in a very pastoral, tender, gentle, reassuring tone to the saints. Mm -hmm. Just listen to this. Here we go. Chapter one, verses eight through chapter two, verse two. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. Chapter 2, verses 12 to 14. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Chapter 2, verses 18 to 21. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Mm. Chapter 4 and verse 4, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. <laughs> Chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, right. but that he loved us Amen. and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Chapter 4, verses 13 to 19. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Mm. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love 
because he first loved us. Mm. Chapter 5 and verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Come on. Chapter 5, 19 to 20. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Mm. Now, that's an avalanche Come brother, home, man. of evidence. And then we, I haven't even... And I, and I love that because at least it, because we, we focus so much on the supposed test, the test, the test, the test, the test, and ignore the comfort, the comfort, the comfort, the comfort. Well, how can there be all this comfort if we're supposed to interpret all this as a test? Because all the tests would not be comforting. It would be proving that I'm not saved. So then how does the comfort work with that? Is the comfort only for people who don't sin, who love, who does perfectly? Well, no, there would be no, why would you be offering the comfort? The comfort would be, there is no comfort unless you're perfect, basically. So that I, I love that going through those passages and looking at the comforting aspect of the book, since it's typically taught not as a comforting book, but as a threatening, challenging, condemning book. Render, Pastor. I have not even read like the purpose statement verse, we'll which is there. where we're going in just a minute. That's right. We'll get Thoughts, there. comments, brother. I mean, let's just go on. It this. is. It's so important. Uh, you know, people saying, well, you're leaving out all the other passages. We're not. We're going to get to them. But you have to understand the absolute breadth. There's a yes. whole boat he's floating you in. Because he basically, John is creating two, uh, two groups of people, right? You've got us who are in Christ, yes. the propitiation of our sins upon yes. Christ. I mean, it's, yes. I love this. No fear, because what yep. casts it out? Not your obedience, right. not the test, not your right. faithfulness. The right. love of God for yes. you casts out fear. We, we perfect have love this. casts out fear. Well, whose love is perfect? God's right. love for us, right? That's I right. Mean, yeah. For those in Christ, these are the benefits. And how do we know? How have we come to know? It's for those who believe. That's what he says. It's for those yeah. who believe. Yeah. So he wrote how an many entire— times, Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I'm so sorry, dude. Yeah. Like, But I read verses from every chapter. So we're getting an overview here. Mm -hmm. And like you said, I love your language, the boat that he floats us in. That's mm -hmm. a great way to frame it because yeah. like this is the tone and tenor, the warp and the woof and the tincture to use an old word of mm -hmm. the whole letter. And how many times does he say to his audience, we are in Christ. We are children of God. You know, I mean, he's, he's just. And that whole thing, he's a propitiation for our sins. Well, if all my sins are forgiven, he, he has satisfied the wrath of God and perfect and perfect love cast out all fear. And he's, and he has perfect love because I love him because he first loved me. Well, then you can't be saying, well, but if you don't do this and you don't do this, and you don't do this, and you don't do this, you're not saved. You go ahead and point all of that out. If you do this and you do this, you're not saved. He's a propitiation for all my sins. They're all forgiven. So how can you point to failure or sin to tell me I'm not saved when all of that failure has been paid for by Jesus Christ and he satisfied God's wrath for that failure and for that sin? So that's why these other verses have to be emphasized because everyone emphasizes the test scriptures or the test verses and ignores all the comforting verses saying it over and over and over and over to them. And you're going to tell me that the purpose of this letter is to try to unsettle everybody. Yeah. Well, and that's, and, and, and the thing is, Justin and I, I'm going to say this and he agrees. John is trying to unsettle some people, but it's not these people, right? It's not these people. Right. And that's the thing about it. It's like, 
um, James does this and John does this. Well, and Jesus does this. If you do not agree with God about right. your sin and right. his gospel, you should be afraid. Exactly. That is what John no, is saying. Yeah, he is trying to unsettle people. He's trying to unsettle people who do not confess that Jesus came in the That's flesh. Right. He's trying to unsettle people who deny that they have sin. He's trying to unsettle people who don't agree with God's word about the severity of their sin and the depth of their corruption. He's trying to unsettle people who don't give a rip about God's word and God's law. Mm-hmm. He's trying to unsettle people who are following Gnosticism and Docetism. That's what he's going after. Docetism and Gnosticism, that's what he's going after. That's the, the people who have gone that direction. He's not trying to unsettle the Christians, the non-Christians he's trying to unsettle. Because what what does the the non-Christian need? If if the non-Christian doesn't care, if the non-Christian is disobeying, doesn't care, not broken, doesn't feel bad, the non-Christian needs law. The Christian needs the gospel and comfort. The lost person doesn't get the gospel and comfort until they are broken over their law. So the the Gnostics need to hear the law so that they will realize they need Christ. But then he gives the gospel to the Christian going, hey, guys, you know that your fear should be cast out and that if you confess your sins, they are forgiven. And guess what? He's the propitiation for all your sins. See, the Christians in the letter, the the, the Christians are getting the gospel and comfort and the the Gnostics and and those who have fallen docetism, they are getting the law. If you understand that, then the book starts making a whole lot more sense. He's trying to unsettle people who do not care at all about loving their brothers and sisters. That's right. If that's true of you, you should be very unsettled. But yes. he's writing to people who are trusting in the Lord Jesus, who are loving each other, and who are pursuing righteousness sincerely, albeit imperfectly. That's right. I mean, this is yeah. why First John two nineteen is so important, which we'll get to again later on. But mm-hmm. I'm going to reference it now. No, right. They went out from us because they were not of us. And the point of it is, there are two categories of people. And John's like, listen, I need you to yeah. hear. Here's category one. This is you. Okay. Right. You heard Jesus. You've, mm-hmm. you've received this message. In yeah. him, you are safe. You are secure. The propitiation of your sins, you have been imputed with this righteousness. Your sin has been imputed on him. And it's this glorious, yeah. I want you to know this. I write these things. Please trust this. Please know this. Now, yeah. these people among yeah. you or who have left you, you yeah. need to hear about their fate because they don't think right. they've sinned, but they right. have sinned. If you're new to Theocast, we have a free ebook available right, for you. I have to do a little commercial here. Faithfulness, a primer on rest. And if you struggle, have to do a, a commercial. Assurance, or simply want to know what it means to live by faith alone. This book sounds good. We wrote good. this little book to provide a simple answer from a reformed confessional perspective. You can get your free copy at theocast.org/primer. And you need to understand the shipwreck that their their false teaching. The, and the false teaching they have bought into, mm-hmm. you need to understand the shipwreck that will make of your life. That's right. Should you go astray in this way and not hold to like what he what he contends for in the very opening verses of the letter, right? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. What, what's he talking about? The mystery of God in Christ. He's talking yeah. about Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we've seen it. We testify to it. We proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, the apostles, right? 
And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. It, it, what a remarkable opening. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that's why he's writing. And he's, he's helping them understand, like, these things are primary. These things that we heard and have come to understand from the Lord that all center around Jesus, don't depart from this. That's right. In well, terms of what you believe and confess. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I would, it's important to understand the arrow of fear is pointed towards a particular person. Exactly. But not the believer. No. And we do this though, no. Justin. I mean, how many I know, times brother. have you heard First John used and it's pointed right at the believer and I'm like, no, that is not who that arrow is pointed at. I know. <laughs> you need to I pull know. it out of your bow. It's not meant for the believer. That's right. Now, listen, that doesn't, and John does rebuke and he does prod and encourage. He says, listen, we need to be pursuing love. If you're and not righteousness. Keep, right. He right. says, All keep that. his commandments. Well, his, we learn yeah. what those commandments are, which is to love God and to love neighbor. Right. right. So, and to demonstrate your love of God through your love of neighbor. Right. And what he means there, to be clear, because this is not perfectionism from John. That's, that's another whole another world we're not going to get into. But what John means is you agree with God on the purpose of your life. You agree exactly. with God that I am a sinner. And I've been redeemed by his blood, and I have been imputed with the righteousness of Christ. I've been declared righteous, not infused, but declared righteous. That's right. And, and because that of matters. that, yes, it matters. It matters a lot. Because of that, I agree with God that I need to mm-hmm. forsake my sin and love Christ and love others. That is the purpose of my life. I agree with him on that. And John is saying there's people in your midst who do not agree with you. Right. They very much need to understand their salvation is at stake. Correct. Many of them have already left you. That's right. And there may be others of them who are still in your midst, like you said, and this is their fate. That's right. But, but I want to comfort you. You've been through some stuff. You've been bombarded by some things, but I want to comfort you that you know the truth and you know the father and you're in Christ and you're a child of God, Mm. you know? And so let me read now chapter five and verse 13, which I understand to be a purpose statement of the letter. So John, all right, so I think they're doing a, a, a very good job trying to make sure there's, there's really two intended audiences, the Christian comfort, 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 or gospel, 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 the Gnostic, the, those who follow docetism, docetism, all right, following these fraudulent ideas, these fraudulent philosophies who have a completely misunderstanding of sin, of Christ, of salvation, of all of that, they get the law. They get the condemnation. They get demonstrated that, hey, you you are in sin and you need salvation. But for the Christian, they're getting comfort. Hey, Christ is the propitiation for your sins. There's forgiveness. There's no fear. It's all great. Now he's going to uh, 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, and he's going to read, I believe he said verse 13. Yeah, verse 13, which a lot of people say is the, the purpose statement of the book. Here we go. His beginning, his it does it at the end, though. Argument. It's like, just in case you didn't hear this. Right. He, well, how, right but you do, we do this in teaching, yeah. right, John? I mean, even in preaching sermons, you know, we, the conclusion is far more important than the introduction mm-hmm. because it's what you want to leave people with. That's right. And how does John do that? Let's look to it. Chapter 5 and verse 13. Again, I think a purpose statement for the letter. Quote, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. There you go. So there are things written here to those who believe. That you may know that you have eternal life. Just really quick, let's just break that down. Mm -hmm. Who's he writing to? He's writing to those who believe in Jesus. Mm -hmm. Why is he writing? So that they may know, the believers may know that they have eternal life. That's pretty strong. Now, 
Let me, if, if we need any more ammunition, here we go. Let's read John Calvin's commentary on 1 John 5, 13. It's good that we would cite other theologians through history. We have quoted a lot of Bible today. We're going to quote a, a trustworthy and reputable man who came before us, John Calvin. Here's what he says. 1 John 5.13 from his commentary on the book. Quote, As there ought to be a daily progress in faith, so he says, talking about the apostle, that he wrote to those who had already believed so that they might believe more firmly and with greater certainty and thus enjoy a fuller confidence as to eternal life. Then the use of doctrine is not only to initiate the ignorant in the knowledge of Christ, but also to confirm those more and more who have already been taught. For there are still in us many remnants of unbelief, and so weak is our faith that we need a fuller confirmation. But we ought to observe the way in which faith is confirmed by having the office and power of Christ explained to us. It is therefore the duty of a godly teacher in order to confirm disciples in the faith to extol as much as possible the grace of Christ, so that being satisfied with that, we may seek nothing else. Close quote. So good. Beautiful stuff, man. So good. So much. We we could talk about this for a whole episode. Yeah. But I love a lot of it. He's saying he's writing to those who believe so that they might be more assured. That's right. That's huge. So that's how Calvin understood the letter. Not not to remove the assurance. But to add to the assurance. To bolster it. And not their works. Now, some would say, well, yeah, yeah, he bolsters the assurance if you pass the test, if you fail the test. But anyone looking at the test would not have assurance. And I I like this. They're getting ready to say, I think they're getting ready to say, I'm going to back this up. Listen to this. To bolster it. And not their works of obedience. But Christ works for them. Exactly. I mean, I'm just going to go, John says this in two books. So first. So this is important. What was going to give them the assurance is not their works, but the works of Christ done for them. First John, and then John says it in his John gospel. chapter 20. That's right. Yeah. In his gospel, he says, uh, verse John 20, 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of mm. God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So, again, what does John document? He documents the Christ, right, for us. The person and the work That's right, what he accomplished for us. He goes, this is the person, and if you believe in him, you have life. Well, then after that gospel is written, you know, all kinds of things get all kinds of thrown all over the place. And so John writes additional to this gospel, these mm-hmm. epistles, and he does the same thing, and he's contrasting it. And the whole church, if you if you listen to most of the churches, you know, people always say, like, I, I really love to live in the first century church. It's, it would be a nightmare. It would be a mm-hmm. nightmare to live in those churches because uh, you got— It was not a golden age. No. Just Paul, to be clear. Paul is writing— Have you with, read the New Testament epistles, right? <laughs> right. There, There is so many false teachers. There's so much bad doctrine. In other words, John, it's like today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty close to it, absolutely. But the point of it is, is that almost a lot every New Testament epistle that is written, here's the truth, and here's what we're fighting against. Right? Here's mm-hmm. the bad doctrine that we're fighting against. Yeah. What we get confused is, Justin, mm-hmm. is we take those warnings against false teachers yeah. or bad doctrine, and we use them. Like I've said before, we aim it at the believer. I know you need to be examining yourself. You need to be, and it's it's like the there's no 
no way the believer can ever have assurance. It's and if you offer it to them, you're an antinomian. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sure. What do you mean you're an antinomian? It's either God has the power to save, or you yeah, have yeah. the power to save yourself. And I'm pretty yeah. sure the gospel doesn't say that. Well, so many of the New Testament epistles, what are the apostles doing? They're trying to give the saints a clear vision of the person and work of Christ right. because they understand that that is the only antidote against false teaching and false practice. Mm-hmm. That's right. I mean, take take Galatians, take Colossians, take First John. I mean, you pick your letter. That's so much of what the apostles are doing. Yeah. They're defending the clarity of the gospel because that is the only thing that will guard people from false teaching and from erroneous practice, therefore. And yeah, we, we mishandle these things often. I, if I can't, like, yep. can, let's just talk a little bit more about some of the stuff Calvin wrote. And then maybe in the Semper Reformanda episode, we could even unpack some of what he wrote even more. Cause I yep. think there's a lot to say. Yep. I love how he says that notice that one of the purposes of doctrine or the purpose of doctrine is not only to educate the ignorant, like to tell people who don't know anything about Jesus, about Jesus, but it's actually to confirm those more and more, he says, who have already been taught, already been taught what? Well, the doctrine about Christ and the doctrines of the faith. It's so important. Sometimes people see doctrine is almost being kind, like if you dig into the doctrine, it's contrary to the gospel. No, those who have believed in the gospel, the doctrine confirms, the doctrine The doctrine should draw them closer. The doctrine should let them grow in grace and knowledge. The doctrine is, is, is significant. Calvin understood that. I think some in the modern church have forgotten that. We use doctrine to confirm the saints. And that's a really remarkable thought. Rather than using teaching to unsettle the saints, we use doctrine to confirm them, you know, and we don't just preach Christ and the doctrines of the faith to those who have not been taught, but we preach these things to those who have already been taught because that's what we need. And then he acknowledges that there is in us many remnants of unbelief and our faith is often weak. And so we need a more full confirmation. And it's, I think Calvin's right. And I think Calvin understood we're agreeing with him, and this is how we're reading John, that that's the tone that he's writing with. That's right. Yeah. You know, yeah. the way I think about this is that, um, you know, I've never done skyscraping uh, construction before, you know, where these guys climb mm-hmm. up in there. and But uh, those that's guys wild. can't do their yeah. work if they don't feel what? They don't feel safe, right? right. They, they have to feel secure to walk out on the edge of that, that they can actually sure. do. And, bro, when we remove that assurance from people, the scary work that we're called to do, we don't have the energy to do it because we're, we're afraid that we might fall. And yeah. I love how the New Testament does the opposite of that. I'm going to give three passages, and then we'll, we'll do some right. more further explanation of this in Semper Reformanda. But these are three that I think God says, I ground you. I secure you, I keep you safe, and then I send you out to do the hard work, mm-hmm. right? So the burden that Jesus talks about, come to me and I'll give you rest. My burden is light, right? What I have for you to do. But first of all, Philippians 2, if there's any comfort in Christ, any fellowship of the, you know, he just grounds you in what you have in Christ and then says, now go obey. No, listen, we're not antinomians, third use of the law. We mm-hmm. do believe that intentions of the Christian life is to obey with a purpose, right? The purpose is, to to spread the good news of the kingdom so that those who are in right. darkness can be transferred into light and to comfort those who are in the kingdom, right? We have, mm-hmm. uh, we have expansion and comfort. Ephesians 4, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. First three chapters, gospel, right? Second Peter 1, 9, right? 
Everything has been granted to you for life and godliness. Because of this, you then reflect godliness and patience. Mm -hmm. And if you're not— And you you pursue these various virtues. That's right. And if you're not, you—verse 9, you've forgotten you've been cleansed from your former sin. There's no difference between Paul and Peter and 1 John. They're all doing the same thing. They're they're showing these people don't understand the gospel. They should worry about themselves and examine themselves. They got the gospel wrong. You who know the gospel, you should rest in it and go obey. Yeah, they've gotten the law wrong and they've gotten the gospel wrong. That's right. And which is why Calvin, to conclude with his thought that how is it that we're confirmed in the faith? Well, to have the office and the power of Christ explained. What's his office? That's that's his work. That's right. Right. He's prophet. He's priest. He's king. All of those things. And to have that explained to us and what that means for our salvation, to have his power explained to us that he is the one who saves and he does it all. Mm -hmm. And then that's why he says that it's therefore the duty of any godly teacher to as much as possible extol the grace of Christ. And to extol is not just to explain, Mm -hmm. it's to herald. We herald the grace of Christ so that the saints might be satisfied in the grace of Christ and therefore look to nothing else. Amen. Well, we definitely have more to say. And Justin and I do a second podcast. It's called Semper Reformanda, which means always reforming. And the point of our podcast is to take the conversations we have now and really turn it in. It's a a teaching moment for us to help you understand how to apply this not only in your personal life, but in your church. And as Mm -hmm. one who is spreading the good news of the kingdom, how do we uh, combat bad theology and use the hope of Christ uh, to help us fuel our desire to see the kingdom of light expand. So you can learn more about that podcast by going to our our, our website, theocast.org. Uh, we also have an app where we post all kinds of interesting comments in there. Justin and I interact in there. We do special videos once in a while. So you can go and be a part of Simple Reformanda in the app there. And there's more stuff coming out. We want to thank. It's really, if you want to know what it is. I would challenge you to look up uh, the Theocast podcast, subscribe to it, listen to it, and we will review part two of their discussion on First John. I don't know if we will tonight, but we definitely will tomorrow. On our agenda tomorrow, remember, we'll start the day with the new podcast series, Today's Focus, where I'll give you a focus for the day. Today's focus was, and maybe we'll talk about this before the night is over, was Colossians 2.8. And we kind of stumbled on this weird, like, I like I wanted to focus on philosophy and and what is the philosophy that had crept into the church at Colossae? What was that? Um, what are some bad philosophies that's come into your life? And what do you think are some bad philosophies in the church? That was really my kind of my three prong approach, my three questions I wanted to give everyone to focus on today. And I wanted everyone to to hopefully on the on the today's focus podcast series, people interact with me and email me answers or or their thoughts or what they discovered. But we kind of stumbled upon something. Because the King James says, let no man spoil you, I think is the exact reading. Let me open it up here. I'm just going to mention it right here at the end of this because um, we need to talk about it one more time tonight because I've been thinking about it throughout the day and I'm still a little baffled. But Colossians 2.8, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy. The Greek word there for spoil, it's bizarre. It doesn't really mean spoil. It doesn't really mean corrupt. It doesn't mean really capture but a lot of the commentary says the Greek word means this, but we looked it up. So we're going to, I'm going to try to do a little bit more word, a little, a little bit more work on the Greek word. Maybe we'll do a kind of a, a spe- I don't know what we'll call it. Well, we we'll probably won't do it within the Today's Focus podcast series. It'll just be separate to that. Something, um, 
about Colossians 2.8. I don't know. I don't have the commentary that I wanted at the house, and it was at the church, and I did not have a car to drive 20 minutes to get it today. So, um, but yeah, so, um, but tomorrow we'll start with today's focus, that that's what we're going to try to do every day, and then tomorrow we'll obviously finish this up on First John, and then what we'll do is we'll do uh, another rev- a review of a message on law and gospel, and I, I everyone, we're, we're, for our bu- uh, Bible, sur- Bible survey, for our uh, Bible exercise podcast series, right, the Bible exercise uh, podcast series where we, well, I try to get you to actually study the Bible. The, uh, we've been working on Amos, and we're, we're currently using the book synthesis uh, method on the book of Amos. We've done all these other methods on it so far. And everyone's asking, well, do your outline, your final outline, and share it. So what I'm, I'm thinking, either I'm going to do it live on the air, like multiple episodes where I kind of just walk through an outline of the entire book, or I may do it with the church. I don't know. Uh, I, I've got it on my notes on my iPad. But um, I, I typically would write it out in pencil, but if I write out a long outline, nobody's going to be able to read it. Uh, so um, for other purposes, I don't know. I may turn it into a PDF file and do that. I don't know what I'm going to do, uh, but uh, I, I need to work on that. And then, of course, we just always have so many other issues to talk about and think about. But um, there you go. First John, I want you to just think about that as it's a polemic against Gnosticism and Docetism. And that really there's, there's that there's comfort for the Christian and there's law and condemnation for those who have followed the early uh, stages of Gnosticism and Docetism. It is following after that, there's law and condemnation for them. And if you don't see that distinction, you merge the book into this messy test that destroys anyone's assurance of salvation which goes against some of the things that are specifically said in 1 John itself. Now, I know what you're saying, but but they ignored the test verses. That's what they're going to look at in part two. And I'll be very interested to see how they handle them. I looked at them as speaking directly to Gnosticism, and I think we did a pretty good job demonstrating that. If you look at what Gnosticism teaches and you look at the language John uses, it's clearly going after Gnosticism. So... Go find a Bible, uh, the Bible Study Exercise podcast series. If you, if you download the Church One app, Church O-N-E, Church O-N-E, do a search for Theology Central, choose us as the broadcaster of choice, then find the series Bible Study Exercise. Just type in First John and start listening to part one. And um, I would really challenge you to, I mean, it, I mean, I mean, unless you're just had your, your mind made up that the traditional, the modern day tradition of interpreting First John as a test book is correct. If you're just so convinced of that, you're not even willing to listen to any other idea. But I think you should be challenged to consider a different way of approaching the book. All right, I'll stop right there. Thanks to the person who sent this to me. Um, now I've got to do another. <laughs> someone always sends me one thing and then it turns into part 47, part 52, part 137. So, um, We'll see, uh, but we will get back to our discussion on law and gospel, and of course, that series will continue some. On, we'll go back to Jude on Sunday. We'll go back to law and gospel on Sunday. Maybe we'll work on Amos on Sunday. I don't know. We will see. All right, thanks for listening. Everyone have a great evening. Possibly we'll be back with a late night episode 
going back to Colossians. The the uh, today's focus is turning into the morning uh, a morning episode, and then something late night. If you look at last night. What do we talk about? The gospel for Facebook. Well, if you really listen to that, they kind of talked a little bit about what the the focus was yesterday, which was the two two kinds of righteousness, right? So we talked about, well, we're saved by an alien righteousness and imputed righteousness. So the late night episode really dealt with the morning focus, even though it was inadvertent and we didn't really plan it that way. Well, tonight, well, probably the same thing's going to happen because, man, what in the world, where does that word spoil come from in Colossians 2? It's just that Greek word does not mean, it, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. So um, there you go. I'm just now, now it just, see, that's what happens when you focus on something. Sometimes you think you're going to focus on one thing. You end up discovering something else. That's why you want to spend the day meditating on something and thinking about it because that's where it really takes root. All right. I got a lot of other things to do this evening. So I'm going to figure it all out. Thanks for listening. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. God bless.